Great show today. Uh, kind of ends with a discussion of Karl Marx, whether or not he was an anti-Semite. I think it's pretty clear. I think it's pretty clear. Um, but uh, hour number one of today's podcast, I take you through a little bit of what was seen last night uh, on my TV show. It is really important if you are somebody who has listened to me for a long time and believe that you know we, we show you some of the things that are over the horizon, this first hour is a must listen to. Then we have Peter Swizer on, who, wow. <laughs> holy cow, told us some things. We start talking about Hunter Biden, but then... We get into uh, the selling out of America by by people like Hillary Clinton. Oh, my gosh. When you hear what he said about the Clinton Foundation and the hypersonic missile, it's not going to make your day better. <laughs> uh, all, all this and more on today's podcast. Yep. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn is the place to go to subscribe. The show, we, we touch on uh, the digital dollar. There's a, Glenn had a special on this uh, last night. You can catch as part of your Blaze TV subscription. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. And uh, we talk about this a little bit in the show, but the number one book in America, and its 10th week of release because there's actually books in stores this time is the great reset congratulations glenn by the way and of course justin haskins you know the real brains behind the operation yeah, obviously uh i mean i don't know why his name is smaller than yours on the cover anyway uh it's the great reset by glenn beck available in bookstores everywhere you're listening to the best of the glenn beck program Welcome to the Glenn Beck program. So I want you to go and and listen to last night's television show or watch it on blazetv.com. At least this morning, it is still up at uh, YouTube. Uh, Just go to the Blaze TV channel and look for my Wednesday night special. Uh, And it talks about the digital dollar. It takes what I've just set up and now gives it... um, gives it all of its teeth and shows you how this is being developed and how it has been developed for a long time. 2014, Russia, China, they already started making their alliance on a digital uh, currency and a a new world order on their side. Um, But I, you know, I, I, I just please just consider that the Axis power is Russia, China, Saudi Arabia, India, the stands, um, possibly Argentina, Mexico, and Brazil. That alone will end the American lifestyle as we know it. So the goal, really on both sides, is to decouple from the U.S.-dominated global financial system, break the back of the United States, cripple the globalist supply chain, and Just hear this, please, because this will happen. We go to war. This will happen. If we can't get products from China, India, Singapore, Vietnam, or chips from China, or the high-tech chips from Taiwan, because if we're at war and Israel looks like it's preparing war because Iran is preparing war on Israel— if we can't, if we're bogged down in a war, that's your Axis power. China is going to take Taiwan. If those things happen, how much are our TV? Where are we even going to get our TVs? Where are we going to get them? 
How are we going to get them across? What will they cost? How much will our clothing cost or anything we currently buy at Walmart? Take a look at all the products that you buy. Where are they made? Are they made here in America? Are they made in Mexico? (laughs) Mexico, uh, Russia is courting them to go with their Axis power. How long will it take for us to begin to make those things again? How long will it take us to be able to make medicine again? What cost will it be to not only build the factories, but retrain the workers in things that are in many ways a lost art in America? No one even makes fabric here in America, let alone clothing. And if Mexico joins the Axis power, what is the cost of our lifestyle? I know for the last few years, I've been saying, I live in America. What do you mean it's going to take me eight months to get this? What are you talking about? It's because of the global supply chain. It's going to get worse without war because of what's happening in China right now. But because of war and because of the price of oil, it's going to get worse, not better. Here's the thing. This this is all going to change our lifestyle dramatically and make it out of reach for most people. But the good news is there's a plan that promises by 2030 you won't own own anything, but you'll be happy. And it all begins with a crisis created by the same people who are offering a solution to save ourselves. All we have to do is reimagine the entire world, our jobs, how we work, what we buy, what we eat. We'll be forced for our own good to do these things for the good of our planet, the good of our country, the good of our family. And most will not question because they don't have forewarning or they'll listen to places like the New York Times that tell you there is no coercion involved in ESG, except the New York Times is lying to you because the New York Times held a conference with Larry Fink in 2017 And this is what he was talking about with ESG. Well, behaviors are going to have to change. And this is one thing we're we're asking companies. Uh, You have to force behaviors. And at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. That is shocking that that is that old. 2017, that's been out. And we've heard all this conspiracy nonsense and everything else. There is the biggest hedge fund, the biggest investor in the world. We're forcing people to do it. Most people don't have forewarning. Some people will just deny it no matter what. It doesn't matter. You have forewarning. Now you need to do your own research from the original sources. Do not take it even from people like me. Don't take it from me. Just because I said it doesn't make it true. You have to own this information. You have to do the work. Use the sources, the IMF, the US Treasury.gov, uh, WhiteHouse.gov, the World Economic Forum, WEF.org, the Central Bank of England. Read the book. He's got several now from Charles, uh, from uh, not Charles, Klaus Schwab. Read the Great Reset. By the way, you can get it now in hardbound just for the footnotes and to make sure that you don't lose this copy. Get it hardbound. If you want to listen to it or read it on Kindle, that's fine. 
but I highly recommend you get a hard copy and use the footnotes. Just because I said it doesn't make it true. You have to know that you can't live on somebody else's testimony. The next step is digital programmable currency. I don't care what anyone says. It's inevitable and it is coming. And you'll understand all of that if you watch last night's show, uh, the Wednesday night special on Blaze TV. Um, so can I talk about something a little little different here? Yeah, sure. Um, we, uh, the Great Reset came mm-hmm. out on uh, January 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, know, you may have remembered we had some issues with yeah. selling out all the books immediately. Yeah. So the books came back in stock this week. And uh, now BookScan, which is the, the, the organization that actually counts the books, unlike the New York Times, which just makes up their own algorithm. Yeah, right. Uh, they uh, have the new list out. Uh, number one book in the country, The Great Reset, in week wow. 10 of release. Week wow. 10, more than double any other book on the list. It's crazy. It is crazy. And I am, I am truly grateful. My biggest, and Justin, who is the co-author of the book, we talked about this the entire time we were researching this book at first we started researching the great reset because neither of us believed it we didn't believe it thought it was we thought it was a conspiracy theory because it was too crazy and then we started researching it and we started looking at their own words and we're like oh my gosh everybody's involved in this um and then our biggest fear was that nobody would care that we would put all this work into it and then no one would read it. Nobody would care about mm. it. Uh, and the opposite is happening. Yes. Uh, by the way, you're number 15 on the New York Times bestseller list. <laughs> Am I really? Number literally number one, double every other book on the list when it comes to actual sales on the New York Times list. You're number 15. The number one book. Unbelievable. You sold almost 10 times as many copies as what the New York Times has as number one. <laughs> it's absolutely That's unbelievable. It it just show, it's like the perfect actual example of how the New York Times operates. Like they the like same you. titles are there. Mm-hmm. They're just totally out of order and totally manipulated to their own agenda. And there's no way you can get to number 15 with anything other than push that down. Right, push yes. that down. There's no algorithm right. no. that could even be close. That is push that down, which should tell you everything. We just got that clip from the New York Times. The New York Times held a conference in 2017, and I don't know who found the clip, but thank you. Thank you, whoever it was, for finding that clip of Larry Fink. So at the New York Times conference, he says, we're forcing people. Listen again. Larry Fink. CEO of BlackRock, by the way. Yeah, CEO of BlackRock, which is the largest investment firm in the world. Here he is. Well, behaviors are going to have to change, and this is one thing we're going to, we're asking companies. Uh, you have to force behaviors, and at BlackRock, we are forcing behaviors. So now, how is he doing that? He's doing that by cutting off all of your money. Well, you're not going to get investment unless you clean it up. And then it, he's not only doing that, but they're also buying enough shares to be able to vote out the uh the major stakeholders to vote out the the people on the board they put three environmentalists on exxon they bought up a whole bunch of shares 
And then at the shareholder meeting, they were like, we'd like to challenge uh, the uh, uh, the um, uh, board and we'd like an election. And they got three environmentalists on their board. That's how they do it. So you're going to play ball one way or another. The New York Times is lying to you. That's why the New York Times has my book at number 15 when I sold <laughs> 10 times the ten amount times of times as many books as the, the, the book they have at number yeah. one. Uh, uh, it's absolutely in, impossible uh, to justify uh, in any way. Um, but I will say this, Glenn. One thing, not from the New York Times side, not from the far left side. They're going to do what they do. But there are I think there's a decent amount of people with this particular topic who are like you when you started, which is you don't want to believe you don't, can't believe that something like the Great you Reset is going on. You don't this. want to believe it. And for good reason, you're skeptical at the beginning because there is so much misleading and actual conspiratorial stuff on the Internet about this topic, which I, I know it, this it, is a conspiracy theory here, but yeah. which I think would be to their advantage if they created it. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, do, I don't know that's that they why, did, but, but right. it's, it's I'm not like, saying they did either. It's like that propaganda. It's like that misinformation and Correct. disinformation and malinformation. malinformation they talk about all the time. There's so if you just go on Google and search for the Great Reset, you're going to stumble upon tons of stuff. Uh, first of all, you'll see a lot of the real documents from these organizations, but you will also see tons of bizarre conspiracy theories stuff that you will know instantly is not true mm -hmm. that is under the ban under the banner of the great reset if you if you read the book the great reset you're going to see stuff that's heavily documented and not conspiratorial yeah. um, not some crazy theory and you, you have to be able to decipher between those things and i think a lot of regular people hear about this google it see the crazy stuff and say oh this is nothing right and i don't you know that is, is it is crucial crucial nobody knows what to believe so i'm telling you right now do not believe me or take my word for it i want you to go to the world economic forum.org wef.org i want you to go to our treasury i want you to what is the hamilton i want you to go to the fed and read the 75 page report on the new digital dollar called the hamilton it was something that the Fed Boston worked with MIT to produce. They're ready. They're ready. Read it from the original source. And 50 pages of fine print new, uh, uh, footnotes at the end of The Great Reset. Make sure you get a hardbound copy. I don't know how many copies are, are left, and I don't know how many copies before we have to go into. I know we are already ordering new but I have no idea how long it'll take us to get the paper and the print again. So get it now while you can. The Great Reset, available at bookstores everywhere. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program. I am surrounded by a new family of people who have their life back because of Relief Factor. Uh, I'm one of them. I was... Uh, uh, in pain and got to the point to where I just I couldn't do it anymore. I <laughs> Did anybody else feel like, you know, I just, I can't get up another day? Mm -hmm. um, we have our life back because of Relief Factor. It's not a television commercial. It's, uh, it's a group of real people with real results that had real pain. Try it yourself, Relief Factor. This guy, when he started, 
completely bald. Look at him now. <laughs> Doesn't do anything for your hair. <laughs> but, it, but it will help you get out of pain. Give it a shot. Try the three-week quick start. Doesn't work? Move on. But we're here to tell you it works. ReliefFactor.com. We are possibly on the verge of World War III, nuclear war. We've got a president who is darn near mentally incapacitated. Uh, we have a vice president who is an absolute imbecile. Uh, and not only that, our president has been compromised. No one will talk about how stupid Kamala Harris is. Nobody will. Nobody will actually. Oh, she's great. She's great. Do you want her as president of the United States? Because she's literally a very weak heartbeat away from being the president of the United States. Be, no. a, oh, be a disaster. You want her making decisions if we go to war? No. <laughs> so, okay, stop. So uh, we have Kamala Harris. We have the president's health, his mental health, and his fact, the fact that he has been compromised by the three people, the three countries, we're now engaging in talks about war, Russia, China, and Ukraine. This is this rises to high crimes for the first time. I've seen the Nixon. I've seen uh, the uh, Clinton and also the uh, uh, the Trump and Trump was, I thought, nothing. Clinton was about the definition of is are we going to be able to are we going to allow our president to lie? Because that was the high crime and misdemeanor of Nixon. He lied. He covered it up. We've blown past the lies, and this is the very first time I have actually seen a provable high crime, and no one will even discuss it in the mainstream media. Peter Swizer is here. He is the author of Red Handed. He's the president of Government Accountability Institute. Um, he says that the White House is bracing for the indictment of Hunter Biden. But is that really, I mean, is that going to take us to the White House and Joe Biden's uh, corruption? Welcome, Peter. How are you? I'm great. Always good to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So uh, let's start with Hunter Biden. What have you heard? What is coming? Well, we had this New York Times piece uh, that ran last week, uh, which talked about the grand jury uh, that was convened in 2018. They're looking at several possible crimes, including tax evasion, money laundering, uh, failing to file as a foreign agent with the Department of Justice and political corruption. And the Biden administration and the Biden campaign before that uh, had absolutely nothing to say on this issue. Now, suddenly you have a story appear in the New York Times. The New York Times admits on page, sorry, on, on paragraph 17 that, OK, the laptop is real. But what I think is really important, Glenn, is in this article, uh, the team Biden uh, basically acknowledges, not by name, but acknowledges that Hunter Biden may very well be indicted. Um, at least on the tax evasion charges. And they, they reveal that he's paid a million dollars in back taxes. Uh, of course, he did that 18 months after the grand jury started looking into this. But to me, that is a massive admission that they are trying to get ahead of this story. They realize that it's a big problem. Um, and I think that uh, it's going to uh, create an enormous uh, problem within the Biden family, because the question becomes, does Hunter Biden take the fall for his dad? 
or if he is indicted, does he actually fight this? And by fighting it, it brings in all the material from the prosecutors about how some of the money ended up with his dad and the favors that his dad performed. So I, I think they are they're in serious panic mode in Team Biden. All right. So um, I got to believe the president would just tell his son, don't worry about it. If you're convicted, I will just pardon you, which he can do. Right. Yeah, that, that's okay. exactly right. And of right. course, the other hurdle, Glenn, is that if the grand jury, which is American citizens, look at this and say he should be indicted, Merrick Garland and the Justice Department could theoretically say, no, we're going to take a pass on that. Correct. Um, that, that would be, I think, create a huge crisis. It would be a huge stain on uh, Merrick Garland's uh, career, uh, but maybe he's prepared to do it. So there's several hurdles here, but we are now finally getting to the point where we are seeing uh, official action that's going to take place. And of course, next year, Republicans take the House and possibly the Senate. You're going to have committees with subpoena power, I think, looking into these issues as well. So it's starting to the circle starting to close. Right. And there is. Am I wrong saying this is the first high crime uh, that I have seen uh, that could be charged for impeachment not in my lifetime i haven't seen a high crime uh, i've seen lying about things covering things up some things that you know i don't want but this is this is taking money illegally from foreign countries and having it funneled to you by your family all of that's illegal uh, well, correct. And add to that uh, the national security implication. Correct. We talked about what, when my book came out, the $31 million that we know they received from China came from four businessmen, all of whom are tied to the highest levels of Chinese intelligence, meaning they, at the same time they are helping the Bidens, they are business partners with like the vice minister of state security, which is their, their spy apparatus. So this has all the markings of a Chinese intelligence operation, and the Bidens happily went along with it. So what does this mean as we are now looking at an Axis allied world, um, China is clearly on Russia's side um, and Biden is threatening China, uh, which I think is insanity, but he's threatening them. Uh, what does this mean? What does this old relationship do or how, how does it affect us in any way? I think it affects us in lots of ways. I mean, here's the here's the irony of um, when Joe Biden became vice president of the United States, his son, Hunter, decides to set up a financial consulting business. And the three countries that he does the most work in are China, Ukraine and Russia, who are all center stage today. And, and by the way, I don't think this was uh, by random chance. I think that those four countries he did business in because they all have deeply corrupt political and corporate Correct. cultures. Correct. So you have a situation right now where, you know, the Bidens have received millions of dollars uh, from a Putin linked oligarchs who are now facing sanction uh, by the Biden administration and Hunter Biden on the laptop. There's a video of him. This was released. This was the one with him, with the girl. He's sort of talking to the girl. Uh, and one of the things he mm. says to the, to the girl who's presumably Russian is that, He's afraid that he's compromised uh, to Russian organized crime. Um, that's one of the things that he actually says in the video. And, you know, if you look at who has put money in his pocket, Yelena Baterina, for example, the former uh, the wife of the former mayor of Moscow, 
our State Department, actually meaning the Obama State Department at the time, declared that Yelena Baccarina was linked to Russian organized crime. So there's one thread that can be pulled uh, against the Bidens. Then you look at Ukraine. Uh, and of course, what is happening there by Russia is horrible. Uh, this is, I think we've known who Vladimir Putin has always been. This should not be a surprise. But there are entanglements in Ukraine as well. I mean, Zelensky is being absolutely heroic. Uh, but let's be clear, who put Zelensky in power? It was a Ukrainian oligarch named Kolomoisky. Kolomoisky was also one of the owners of Burisma, which is the company that was paying millions of dollars to Hunter Biden. So you've got conflict upon conflict. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the China ties. And China now you know, has positioned itself to actually benefit from the sanctions we are putting on Russia, because the way Russia is going to evade sanctions is by selling energy to China. Uh, so it is an absolute mess, and it highlights why we have to be so concerned when our foreign leaders have these entanglements, because at a time of crisis like this, the notion that Joe Biden is not factoring in that his uh, son and his family's reputation and his reputation could be severely damaged by any one of these foreign actors re revealing uh, facts and information is ludicrous. Of course, he's calculating that. And that's part of the problem. So, well, I mean, he, if anything came out from Russia, he would just say disinformation and he'd say the same thing for, uh, about China. And there are those who would want to believe that. You know, Roger Ailes said something to me um, when I first started at Fox and I said, Barack Obama is lying. He is a liar. Um, and I was called into Roger's office and he said, don't say that. And I said, it's true. He was lying about this. I, I have the tape of him saying this and then the tape of him lying about it. He said, yeah, but nobody wants to think of their president as a liar. Nobody wants to think right. of that. It, it's too ugly. And um, and I think he was right. And so there are a lot of people that they 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 don't want to look at this. And the press is happy to oblige. So it, it, it does the press. I mean, they're still making it about, you know, the sex and the, the disgusting parties and photos of him having sex with everything that moves. Um, they're making that into the story. That's not the story. The story is the compromise of the president of the United States. Is anybody going to report on this, Peter? Are uh, I, I, think that, I think they will. And I, I, I say that for a couple of reasons, Glenn. First of all, I think what you're starting to see is elements of the Democratic establishment are starting to turn on Joe Biden. Uh, they see that his approval ratings are way down. Uh, they see that he's not popular. And I think they recognize that he's not probably going to be in any condition to run for reelection. If he did run for reelection, he would soundly lose. Um, and of course, they have the Kamala Harris problem. But I do think that the Democratic establishment sees uh, Joe Biden as a net negative increasingly. So out of political expediency, uh, they're going to try to maneuver in such a way that casts him aside. I think the second thing, though, that's going on is the media. Uh, the media is now one of the least trusted institutions in America. There was a recent uh, survey, I think it was Pew, but I'm not sure, that said the media's approval rating is actually lower than Congress. <laughs> which, wow. Which I think really, that's in, really, uh, yeah, it's in the teens. That takes some doing. 
Yeah, exactly. It takes some doing. So, you know, look, there, there is my experience is there are reporters in the so-called mainstream media that want to cover these stories. The problem is with uh, the editors and the managers, and they have to be at some level deeply embarrassed uh, about this uh, because people that read their paper don't actually know what's going on. Um, and the divide between reality and what they're reporting is getting larger and larger. So I get accused of being overly optimistic, but I do feel like there are several trends that are moving in the direction of this being exposed uh, by the media. That would be that would be nice. Uh, you know, I, I was just thinking as you were talking about the reality of this actually coming to light and the president, uh, you know, losing his gig over this. If I were planning to destroy America. There couldn't be a better way to do it than to run a president through an impeachment trial while a country was at war. God forbid we go into war and we have to remove the president because you can't have a compromised president. I mean, you're going to go to Kamala Harris. What a nightmare. But can you imagine what our allies would think? If I mean, they think he's weak now. Can you imagine a impeachment trial going on at the same time? Welcome back with uh, Peter Swiser, uh, the author of the book Red Handed. Uh, he shows how not just the Bidens, but everybody is selling us out in Washington to the Chinese. Peter, can you talk for a second about the influence operation from China and how it works? Yeah, um, it's a brilliant strategy. You have to give uh, the Chinese Communist Party credit. Um, it's, it's a strategy they call elite capture. Uh, and the idea is, you know, we don't want to go toe to toe with the United States. We want to defeat them. We want to surpass them. Uh, they really do view us as an enemy, uh, at minimum as a rival. But rather than go head to head with our dynamic economy, the, the best in the world military or a country that has all this cultural appeal around the world, we're just going to buy off their leaders. If we can buy off enough of their political class by giving them sweetheart deals in China, making them rich, binding them to us, uh, we will then succeed in what we want, which is effectively lobotomizing the West. And they're open about this. They talk about this. And they're not looking for America's leaders to be robots that are going to you know, sing the praises of Marx and Lenin. What they're looking for is a, a phrase translated to English that roughly means big help with a little bad mouth. So in other words, if Joe Biden criticizes the United States for the week, sorry, criticizes China for the treatment of the Uyghurs or their human rights situation, they don't have a problem with that. What they want is to make sure they have unfettered access to our technology and to our capital markets, uh, that there are very few uh, uh, tariffs put on any of their imported goods. And if we do that as political leaders, uh, then they are going to be happy and we will be doing their bidding. And it's working very, very well. And it has been now for more than a decade. We're finding out now that uh, China is working on their own digital currency. They're in bed loosely at this point with Russia. Um, they look at Russia and uh, India and uh, Saudi Arabia as possible partners in this new world order. Um, who loses in this, them or us, or is it equal? Uh, we do. Yeah, we do. I think we lose enormously, uh, and I don't mean we just as a government or as a national power. We as average citizens, because we oh, get yeah. huge benefits. Glenn, you've talked about this on the show. We accrue huge benefits from uh, the U.S. dollar being basically the reserve currency no, of the world. Yep. 
Yeah, and China is changing that, and and I I hate to say it, as much as I agree with uh, uh, the the sanctions policy, the sanctions are pushing the world towards the Chinese currency away from the dollar. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. Rabbi Yitzhak uh, Alderstein, welcome. It's great to be here. And I'm a little shocked by your intro. Yeah. Well, you sat in my office six years ago. Right. And uh, you shocked me because you said, I'd like to ask you to, uh, I appreciate what you've said about uh, Jews and anti-Semitism, but I'd like you to concentrate a little bit more on the Christians because they're coming for you guys first this time. And that shocked me. And I know who you are. And I, I, you know, I respect you and your opinion. And I put that into practice. Uh, And we have been uh, all over the world uh, trying to save any persecuted religious minority um, that is coming under fire. Because you're right. I mean, it's going to be all of us. And now... You come to me and it's interesting because now you're you're saying, OK, maybe it's maybe it's time. This is what I'm least reading uh, in your visit. Maybe it's time to also start really talking about the Jews uh, because we're at a critical stage. It's getting bad. It is. Um, I'll stand by what I told you six years ago, that the most endangered religious minority today is Christian is Christians and Christianity? Those are the people who venture out of their houses and sometimes within their houses, and uh, getting picked off. Look what's going on in Nigeria, really, in a whole swath of territory from Western Africa so all the way through China too. China, they're rewriting the Bible. I mean, you would probably know this. It, it took the churches in Germany about six months uh, before they started taking Hitler's advice on maybe the Old Testament is a little too Jewish, so we should drop that. From That's crazy. When people hear that, they don't believe it. But that's what China is doing right now. They're rewriting the Bible. And there, there are so many people who think that you can actually get away with that. You know, the Soviet persecution of all religious minorities, mm-hmm. 70 years, and yet in 2006, a poll in Russia, this is post-Iron Curtain Russia, showed that 84% of Russians claimed they believed in God. How does that happen? And some people think that that's surprising, but it's not because people really can't live without God. Some of them, unfortunately, don't realize it. But without God, our societies are not stable. Our families are not stable. That's what's happening here in America. You bet. That's what's happening. So can we talk about Ukraine uh, sure. just a little bit? Um, I thought of I actually thought of you the other day when uh, I was watching Ukraine and I thought for the first time, for the first time, really, Jews are escaping a country, not because of persecution, but because the Russians are coming uh, and they have a place to go. They have a place to go. Israel where nobody can stop them from going there. Once they get out of the country, they don't have to worry about who, what country is going to take me. That's a miracle. That's a huge change. 
In, in fact, uh, Natan Sharansky, the iconic figure of resistance to Soviet Russia, said when he grew up in Ukraine, there were lots of nationalities. Everyone got along. Everybody was equal, except for one group. Yeah. If you had Jew on your identity card, you took a lot of you took a lot of garbage. It meant you didn't get into schools, you didn't get jobs. And he said, "Look at God's revenge. Today it's the opposite. People, the pictures are horrifying. The people are crossing the border, no idea where they go next, and one group has the privilege of knowing that they have family around right. the world. There was a there was a time that Christians felt like they were all one big family. Yeah." And we've lost so much of that. What so? Because the president of Ukraine, who's Jewish, um, said, "You know, Israel, you got to help us out here. Look at what we've done. Look what we've done in the past uh, for Jews." And I now, I'm a student of history, but maybe not that good of a student of history, because Ukraine was a killing field for Jews, right? World War II? Absolutely. It goes back a lot further than World War II, 17th century. Essentially, the founder of Ukraine, Bogdan Khmelnytsky, killed more than half of all the Jews in the Ukraine. My God. 300 communities totally decimated. In, in World War II, everybody knows about Babi Yar, when Ukrainians watched while the Nazis and eager Ukrainian volunteers yeah massacred, shot all those people and put them in that massive ravine while they were eating ice cream and, and watching. So they're saying that, you know, we're, you know, we're supporting them because, uh, uh, because they're, you know, good country, good people, et cetera, et cetera. And we deny the existence of the Nazis, but we helped train those people during the, uh, right after the, the last, um, uh, the last revolution this guy now, the president, is a Jew. The Nazis do exist, but it's not like the Nazis. It's a small group, or are there is there a real problem of Nazis there? It's a it's it's a small group. The people in the Ukraine, Jews in the Ukraine, report that they have grown up without any feeling of anti-Semitism. They feel it may be there beneath the surface, but it's there in every country, including the United States. And critics will point to the Azov group, which is a paramilitary group with ties in to neo-Nazi groups. But then on the other side, you got the Wagner group, mm-hmm. Putin's own paramilitary yeah. private army named, that is equally yeah. named, named. Named Wagner. Named I mean, that, I love people saying it's Wagner. No, it's, it's Wagner. Wagner. It's Wagner named after the composer, Hitler's favorite composer. But at the same time, we, we do have to appreciate the fact that the vast, vast majority of people streaming out of Ukraine today are innocent people who yes. are not tied in Correct. to whatever their grandparents did. These are older people, younger people whose lives have been disrupted overnight, they certainly, certainly require and should be getting our sympathy. I am I'm concerned. Uh, well, before we leave Ukraine, there's another controversy, um, and that controversy is the Iron Dome. Israel will not give the Iron Dome to Ukraine. How, how do you respond to that? You know, I live in Jerusalem, in the valley just below my home. There's an Iron Dome installation. In last, in the Gaza War last spring, we essentially ran out of Iron Dome missiles. We had to be resupplied. 
you know, a couple of our friends on the squad were against resupplying us. I, I, people forget that Israel lives with existential angst every day. There are people out to destroy us. Not the, not the least of which is in Iran, which is benefiting from this war because somehow our administration is so bent on signing a, con contra, uh, a, a counterproductive uh, a treaty uh, that, that is not going to do anything other than release billions of dollars to them. Israel needs Iron Dome. It would do relatively little in a country as vast and as yeah. big as Ukraine. Iron Dome is meant for small areas where you know the direction of incoming missiles. Right. Not the kind of really modern missiles that, that Russia is lobbing in, including hypersonic weapons, and where a vast border means that they can come from any direction Correct. at all. So let's let's talk about the Iranian uh, deal. This is horrifying to me. Horrifying. Uh, I mean, we were making such progress in the Middle East uh, under Donald Trump, and that's all gone. Uh, and now we've hacked off Saudi Arabia by doing this deal. Um, they're not happy with us. In fact, they're not even returning our president's phone call. And I think that Israel is going to have to respond when this deal is done because we, we are allowing the Russians to come in and build more plants for them. This is insanity. Add to that the fact that Americans and most of the, all the free world sees what one madman can do, the kind yeah. of devastation that he can rain down upon people if there's nothing holding him back. Now, add to that in Iran, where you have, in addition to that, religious fervor. People mm -hmm. who are not afraid of absorbing nuclear bombs because it's part of the mission. The, It'll bring the, the 11th yep. imam. Yes. Those who, so, those who are part of that 12er sect are terrifying. And the average person in Iran might not be. But America, think of it this way. Are you for the things that are going on in Washington? Are you like, yeah, that's what I voted for. They listen to me. Imagine in Iran, you you don't have any say on what they're doing. It could be a crazy sect at the top, which it is, that believe we're going to hasten the return of the promised one. And the one high-ranking official, I don't remember his name, a couple of years ago said, Israel is a one-bomb country. It means we can finish it off with just one well-placed nuclear weapon. But uh, in Iran, we'll absorb a few. Well, here's what the uh, Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Commander-in-Chief, uh, General uh, Hossein Salami, said yesterday in Iran. Iran's enemies, such as Israel and the United States, have an expiration date as the new world order is upon us. That's a little frightening. Just a little. Just a little. <laughs> um, all right. I want to take a quick break. And then I want to ask you, because you did something. Um, is it the ladder or the rungs of anti-Semitism? And um, I have been concerned seeing this grow overseas. But it is growing in a great number of people who are our neighbors. But they, I don't think they even understand it as anti-Semitism. 
and I want to talk to you about those rungs and what they are. They're the four rungs of anti-Semitism. Do I have it right? You got it. Yeah, four four rungs of anti-Semitism. We'll go there here in just a second. So uh, sitting in my studio is the director of interfaith affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center. His name is uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Alderstein, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Um, so let's let's talk about what's happening first in um, in Europe. How bad is it getting in Europe? Anti-Semitism. Yes, it's it's pretty it's pretty bad. Um, Jews are not so comfortable walking around in the street with anything identifying them as Jews. It's not true of everyone, of course, but people are, are increasingly conscious of it. Um, the attacks on religious institutions, uh, something we've never talked about in the United States, how many churches are burnt a year I know. in France, but it's worse with synagogues. Mm -hmm. um, my, my grandchildren in Berlin uh, attend uh, attend a school uh, where they are guarded by by German police, which is kind of ironic. Yeah. Uh, and it, when when you have a continent where people have people show people stated years ago that the single biggest threat to peace is not Iran, not China, but Israel, mm -hmm. then you know something is going on beneath the surface. Europeans never liked Jews too much to begin with. It's not like the United States. And and things are getting bad. Uh, the United States, though, I think is, I mean, policy-wise, I don't know what our friendship is with Israel, or it seems, it seems to be um, a little anti-Semitic uh, on the left now. In fact, a lot on anti-Semitic on the left, and anti-Semitic uh, lighter, if you will, in the... Democratic Party. There still is a lot of bipartisan support of, of Israel. Perhaps uh, the, the threat to that is that so many young people are listening not to anything Jewish, but to what they hear from professors on campus, mm -hmm. that they've, uh, they've, swallowed, they've swallowed the whole, uh, the, the whole theory out there that the, that the Jews are the last colonialist power conceived in sin. And the world will not be a safe place until we get rid of it. That's so, crazy. It, 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 it is crazy. You know, it is. I never understood. I'm going to get to those four rungs here in a second. But um, it, I never understood how Jewish people could live in Germany with all of the things that were being done led up to just the mass slaughter. And how they would always say, yeah, but it's not going to get better. It's not going to get worse than this. It's not going to get worse than this. And how so many people said, look, I'm a patriot of this country. They're not going to do that to me. I never understood it until recently because some of the same things are being said about Christians and people who vote differently. They're saying crazy things, but you're like, yeah, but that will never happen here. And there's this disconnect uh, there, there's just like this, I don't know where the bridge is, but there's a bridge somewhere to where that becomes real. And I don't know what the last signs are. I don't know what it is that makes you go, you know, I don't think I should be here. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Can you help me with that? Well, uh, of course, there's a human uh, reticence to believe that their, their whole world and everything that they, that they stood for could fall apart. 
So you you avoid even listening to news that works in that direction. Right. But uh, I, I don't know how many more years Jews have in America, how many years Americans have in America. It's, that is uh, That is terribly frightening. Na, 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 na.